Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and if there's one thing I believe, it's that you're capable of making your dreams a reality and that the world needs you to be living out your purpose. One thing I love is to chat with people doing impactful work in hopes that we can all learn something from the conversation. Not to mention, we get to apply all of that wisdom to our own journey. Each week, you will hear just that here at the Radiant Podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome back to the Radiant Podcast. And this week, we have my friend Leanna Summers joining us. Leanna works as the Editorial Communications Director at One Child, the organization that I've been talking about here on the Radiant Podcast for the past two months. Guys, you know I love the work One Child does, so I thought... We need to bring someone from the One Child team here to share with you. Guys, I loved getting to know Leanna, learning alongside her for the two weeks we spent together in the Philippines, and I can't wait for you guys to hear her her story and how she ended up doing the work she's doing. So let's dive in. I can't wait for you guys to get to know her. Hey, Leanna. Hi, Kelsey. It's so exciting to be here today with you. I love to hear your voice. <laughs> I love hearing your voice. And it's, you know, if, after spending two weeks together, it feels too long since we, you know, haven't heard each other's voice on a daily basis. So it's fun to be back here and chat about our trip to the Philippines. But I would love for you to start by sharing your story, who you are what you do, how you're related to one child in the Philippines. Um, We just want to hear it all. Absolutely. I'm just so honored to be here. And I, yeah, I've got a long history with working in child development organizations. But before I did that, I really thought that I was going to be a medieval lit professor. (laughs) That was always my dream. (laughs) which is, you know, very practical. (laughs) (laughs) But I just love literature. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to get my master's in lit, and I'm going to get my PhD. And I'm going to dive into old manuscripts. And, you know, I was learning, you know, classical Latin so that I could then learn medieval Latin, which is a little different, and just diving into that whole world. And I really thought that that's, you know, that's where my skills are, my passion, I'm going to do this. Um, And then what happened was I met this amazing guy named Chad. (laughs) When I was young, I mean, I was like 18. So (laughs) fell in love with him and didn't, he was in Texas going to school. And I was in Colorado in college, just started college. And, um, you know, I, then I was like, I'll just go anywhere with this man. I just love him so much. <laughs> so um, we ended up dating and kind of long distance for a while. And then we worked at a conference center in New Mexico for a while together in the summers. And eventually he moved to Colorado to be with me. And we just dated until basically until I graduated. And he took a little longer to get his degree. Um And so just, you know, graduated and um, then we got married and it was crazy because it was like I graduated um, the week, uh, then a week later we got married. And then a week after that, we went on our honeymoon. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And then like a week after that, we moved. 
And so I think at the time it was like way too many life changes all at once, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I didn't know. Yeah, I was, I was 22 at the time and I didn't know that it was going to be that stressful. <laughs> so it's like, they're all good things, but I think as we all know, you can have amazing things that happen in your life and it still creates stress because it's change, you know, and even if it's healthy change or exciting change, it's still a bunch of change. So, so anyway, we moved, um, to, uh, Colorado Springs, which is, uh, you know, close to Denver. And so, and at the time it was close to my family, they were about an hour away. And so, I was kind of like, okay, we'll move. I want to be close to my family because I have younger siblings. I want to still connect, you know, stay connected with them. But I wanted to be um, just um, a little farther away and in, a, in a, a big enough city that I felt like I could do some things before I went on to grad school. Um, I really was excited about publishing in general. And so um, Chad was finishing up his degree. And so his four year, like his bachelor's degree. And so I thought, okay, I'll just work while he's in school and, um, you know, I'll support him and what he, what he wants to pursue. And then, um, and then eventually I'll get my master's, my PhD and in lit. And so we moved here and, you know, at first it was, I, it was kind of, it wasn't like a clear path. You know, I, First, I just, we had our wedding money, which this is not like me because I'm more of a planner, but we just had wedding money. And I was like, you know, and my husband is, you know, he's, he's like the seven, he's an ENFP. <laughs> so he's like all about the party and all about like, let's just go, let's just do this, you know? And um, so he's just up for anything at any moment. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm a four and I'm an INFJ. So we're, all, you know, it's an awesome combination, but it's also like, okay, what, what should we do? Like to kind of plan this out. It's exciting. It's romantic, but it's also like, shouldn't we plan this? <laughs> hey, we need the planners. A sevens <laughs> need someone to rein us in. Yeah. So but so that was kind of when I look back on that, I'm like, wow, I was pretty brave to do that. And I'm sure we all have those moments in life where it's like, wow, that was, it was a step of faith. You know, I just felt like, okay, this is, God has brought us together, you know, in this marriage and we're together. He's going to bless what we do. And so we just kind of took that step of faith to say, yeah, let's just move and see what happens. And so we had our wedding money. And then it was kind of like, okay, I need a job. <laughs> so I just got my degree in, in English Lit, my bachelor's degree. And so I just was like, okay, I'll just find any job, you know, until I find that something that I, I can do for a while till I go to grad school. So I ended up working in a bagel shop, which I actually loved. It was fun just making bagels <laughs> and then supporting Chad while he went to school and um, probably like four months later, I got my first like professional, you know, post school job. <laughs> yep. And it was, um, it was at a software company and it was just technical writing and it was the worst fit for me ever. I mean, I was so miserable. I hated it because I'm just not a technical, you know, writer. So, <laughs> 
So I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is so difficult for me. Um, and so I lasted probably about 10 months before I found another job that was um, awesome. And it was in ministry. And I, it, was, um, it was at an organization that helps international students who need, um, um, you know, to share the love of Christ with international students, but um, just helping them acclimate to the culture and everything. And so I worked as an editor and a writer for that organization. And that was kind of my first glimpse into like um, more international issues and um, just learning more about people in other cultures and how to connect and communicate well with people. And I just fell in love with, um, you know, I've always loved to travel and learn about other people. And I just fell in love with that, um, that mission of like helping others in some way, you know, and, and it was also like college students and things like that, which I thought, okay, I'm going to be a professor. So this is awesome. So, (laughs) so then, um, Basically, the there was, you know, like a huge market crash and um, a lot of downsizing with companies and everything and um, difficulty um, with just people getting laid off. And so um, it just became a difficult situation because I was the only person left in my department um, because I was doing grant writing as well. Wow. So they needed <laughs> you to keep, you know, bringing in money. Yeah. So I was like this is so incredibly stressful because my boss is gone and, (laughs) you know, but I'm still writing the grants appeals and stuff. But, um, but it was within that like space of like feeling kind of lost and kind of desperate and just struggling so much. I just stepped back and I was like, I'm just, this is too much stress. I'm just going to go and work at a daycare because I love kids. So I basically just quit. I mean, I gave them two weeks notice, <laughs> but I quit and I just went to um, a daycare center and it was really healing for me actually, because it was a stressful environment as you can imagine with everybody gone. <laughs> and um, I think, you know, we all have those moments in life where it's like, okay, I've prepared all these things. This is my big dream. This is my big goal. I've spent, you know, a lot of time and money going to school. What am I doing here? (laughs) You know, and I think we can second guess ourselves so much, um, especially as women and moms and wives and just Christians and just all those things like, you know, what am I supposed to be doing? And yeah, sometimes it's like God is saying, don't do anything, just rest, you know, rest in me, rest in my promises. Just believe that that I'll be there with you through the difficulty, through the the ups and downs, the joys and sorrows. And that's that's the hardest thing to learn in the midst of difficulty, right? It is so hard. And I feel like I've lived that, you know, a few times in kind of my, you know, eight years post-college. I went and worked at Starbucks for, you know, 10 months between, you know, and I would be serving coffee to people I graduated college with, you know, and, and, and people would say, what, what are you doing here? And, you know, not that I think that of any barista who serves me, I actually fantasize about going back and just picking up a shift a day or two a week because it was a really <laughs> yeah. sweet season. And yeah. I think 
sometimes we need those kind of sabbaticals from really stressful um, seasons of life and careers. How did you navigate that pressure and that that fear, or or did you, of like, okay, you left kind of something that was a little more what would look like a career path post your college experience and degrees, post pursuing a higher education to kind of, you know, take some time to go work at a daycare with kiddos that was in a field with kids, maybe not so relevant to your lit degree. Um, Did you feel like, did you struggle at all with that? Or was it truly just a time of rest and you were okay with that? Yeah, I think it was really hard to begin with because it does feel, it did feel like I was giving up something initially. But I think I was also still um, in this mindset that I'm going to be getting my PhD eventually. So all of the things that I'm doing now are great, but they're just along the path to my final goal of my PhD. And so I think that actually helped. um, But initially, just that step out was really stressful for me. And I didn't handle it that well to begin with. You know, there were a lot of freak out moments, a lot of moments when I should have been praying and I just wasn't even thinking about praying, you know. And um, so I think just um, it was a time for me to it felt like survival mode in in the beginning. Um, but then as time went on, you know, God was faithful and he actually sent an opportunity to me um, while I was teaching the kids in the daycare um, to also teach yearbook and journalism at this high school. And it was just a part-time job that I could fit perfectly within um, my teaching daycare. So I was like, okay, I could do that. And um, also work at the daycare and um, just give myself that school year basically to figure out, you know, what's next. And maybe, maybe I teach full time, you know, because I I love to teach, I love to teach and I loved teaching the high school kids as well. So I thought maybe I'll, I'll be an English teacher or yearbook journalism teacher um, while I wait for Chad to finish um, college. So, so it was just an interesting time. But then what happened um, after that is um, right before the um, school year was up for, for teaching high school, I learned that there weren't any full-time positions at that school available. It was a private school, so I didn't need my teaching certification, um, but I um, would have needed you know, teaching certification for a public school or something else like that. And I really just wanted to teach literature. I wasn't interested in some of the other things, um, but they didn't have anything available. And so basically this editing position came up at a nonprofit, a sponsorship organization for kids. And I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. So I applied and I got the job and it just, at the time it was just like, okay, I'll, you know, here's another job. <laughs> Of something that, you know, I love international um, relief, you know, helping people internationally. I love helping the idea of helping kids and just that whole journey. And so I started on that journey and I just absolutely uh, fell in love with it. I 
started traveling with the organization to um, because part of my role was to to write stories, to get stories for the organization. And I just I I started traveling and I just kept started learning about other cultures, um, what people go through, what they experience. Uh, experience, especially in poverty. And it just broke my heart and it completely changed my whole outlook on life and what was important to me, you know, and I thought, okay, I can, I can still pursue this PhD and get, get, you know, teach literature and make a difference in students' lives. But I can't think of anything more powerful and meaningful to kingdom building work than helping rebuild the life of a child or helping rescue a kid from from danger or save a kid's life, you know, um, show a child what Jesus's love looks like. Um, and it just completely changed my perspective on everything. And suddenly my Ph.D. didn't seem that important anymore. <laughs> I have been there, man. So it seems like, I mean, hey, I have been there in a sense. I have not been pursuing my PhD before, <laughs> but I, I've been there in the sense of, you know, a door opens up and it sounds like out of, at first, a little bit of disappointment of like, okay, I'm going to take this job because there's not a full-time role teaching right now where where I already am. So I'm going to do something different. And it's kind of this redirection that kind of led you in, into the next season. But at first, what would, or what would you say to the person who is really struggling with like, oh, that really didn't go as planned because kind of the things that didn't go as planned for you led to you doing what you're doing today, to doing what you love. What would you have to say to the person who's kind of living that right now and maybe isn't seeing the light at the end of the tunnel quite yet? Yeah, it's it's such a hard thing to see when you're going through something like that because you just, you know, you just can't see how God's working out all the details on your behalf and how he's putting together all these pieces of life experience all the way from, you know, your birth <laughs> and family experience growing up to you know, young adulthood and first careers and all of that. And, you know, being a mom or all of that kind of stuff. Um, it's just so hard to see how God works all those things together for the good of, of those who love him. And, but, but he always does. And I've seen it over and over. I've, you know, I've been in this work now for more than like around 15 years. So I've seen over and over not just in my own life, but how God has brought um, colleagues of mine, you know, people who've worked for me, served alongside of me, people um, I've met through the stories that I've been able to write and tell, um, you know, my own family, just all over. I think just if you live long enough and you work, you know, you observe long enough, you, you'll see this over and over, just how God um, really orchestrates our lives in such a beautiful way. And we don't see those pieces come together, you know, because I would have never thought that just teaching kids, you know, being a teacher, teaching kids, uh, working in a daycare, um, you know, working at a college kind of international organization for college kids, how that would all fit into what I'm doing now, but it all fits perfectly. Um, and so I would just say, as much as you can, you know, 
lean on God, lean on his promises and just be faithful in that journey as, as much as you're able, because it is a journey. And I think when I was able to let go of the idea that there was this solid destination that I needed to be reaching, you know, this PhD that I thought that I needed so badly, um, God just opened up something so much more uh, meaningful to me personally than I think the other path would have been for me. I, I have found that to be true time and time again, but it, it, it is, it can be deeply painful to navigate that, you know? And so um, yes. I love that you said that. And I love that you kind of reiterated something I love to talk about here on the podcast that not a moment is wasted. You might spend four years doing something that ultimately totally changes and you end up not doing that beyond, you know, the four year mark or the 10 year mark. Um, but that that wasn't wasted um, and, and usually serves as a stepping stone for what's ahead. I mean, what a beautiful culmination of your experiences of getting this lit degree, um, planning to, you know, go all the way to a PhD and be an educator. Um, but then kind of taking a little detour, working with kids, um, ending up in ministry and nonprofits, and then like ending up in these roles where you're telling stories, you're working with, you know, child sponsorship organizations, you have ex an extensive background and years of experience in this field at this point today when we're talking, like everything came together. How cool is that? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And it's just a testament to God's faithfulness. When, you know, we take that step with him, it doesn't mean it's all going to be, you know, easy and, and perfect and everything works out now, but there will still be difficult moments along the journey. But it's such, it's so meaningful when you're, when you feel like you're in the center of God's will for your life. And I think when you, when you see that, I mean, when, when that happens, you know, that it, that it's there in some way, you know. Because you'll get affirmations either from other people around you or just from from the work that you're doing and the meaning that it creates for you. Because it's all about, you know, just loving others as God loves us. Like, that's really what life is all about. Nothing else really matters. No one's going to care what kind of car we drive, you know, what kind of house we had or any of that stuff when we die. You know, I mean, even like, you know, Steve Jobs probably won't be remembered in 200 years or 300, or maybe he will. But <laughs> you know, it's just what what's what can we do that's more experiential and creates meaning? You know, and me as a mom, I always think of that too because I'm like my kids. Even you know, I'm passionate about my work, but but my kids and my time, and I have little ones. You know, my little one is is four now, but just even my time with them is, is what matters. So I always, you know, I have lots of mom uh, friends who are moms who stay home with their little ones. And I just think that's the most meaningful thing you can possibly do because you're just creating these, these memories with your kids and the time you spend with them that you're able to spend is just so important. You know, your kids will remember the time that you spent with them, not what kind of car you drove or what kind of gifts they got or whatever, you know? <laughs> so I think that's important. Man, I can't agree more, but that, I mean, 
the, the idea of that is really appealing, but I can't say that I'm fully there. I want to be there. And I think, yeah, I think the <laughs> it's older, <hard. laughs> the older I get, the more, the closer I get to arriving there, but it just feels like, you know, I sit and have conversations with friends and, you know, we're so, we're comparing ourselves to someone who's 50 and has their dream home, but they've worked 30 years for that dream home, you know? And so I would say I'm working towards that. Today's podcast is sponsored by Denison Ministries. Denison Ministries is a movement creating 7 million culture-changing Christians who are committed to carrying out the truths of the gospel to their sphere of influence through a variety of ways, which is why Denison Ministries is excited about what God is doing through today's podcast. One of the cool ways Denison Ministries helps Christians unpack the culture around them is through their Denison Forum. The Denison Forum is designed to help Christians thoughtfully engage the issues of the day from a biblical perspective. Each day, Jim Denison writes on the cultural and contemporary issues of the day through his daily article. You can sign up to get the Denison Forum daily article sent directly to your inbox at denisonforum.org or start your day off with the daily article podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to today's program. Would you say the line of work you're in, which I would love to, you know, fast forward to where you are today, working with one child, doing the work you're doing, you're traveling at least four times a year on site at one of the locations one child is working at with these child sponsorship programs. Do you think kind of your experience and the work you do accelerated that perspective for you of like really all of this materialism um, that we focus on in America. Not that it's bad. I love a beautiful home and I don't feel guilty right. for that. But, no, no. Um, you know, do you think that it accelerated that perspective? Because even even for me being in the Philippines and I, I have, you know, a decent background in mission work um, in undeveloped countries and so but it, it's always it always kind of reintroduces me back to gosh like the things I chase day to day really don't matter that much yeah I think anytime so I've I've been to probably about 45 countries now just gathering <laughs> gathering stories and things I mean over the years but gathering stories and I just I think that every time you allow yourself to enter into another person's, you know, re, like get another person's perspective, whether that's, you know, traveling around the world and, and seeing another culture and, and learning how people live or just in your own neighborhood, you know, there's so much diversity where we all live as well. If we look for it, just learning others perspective is so valuable um, because it does change our own perspectives and it, and it kind of helps us recenter and remember what's important. You know, there's always like the hashtag first world problems, which we've all seen, <laughs> but it's so true. Like, and it's, it's easy to get into that. Like when you, you know, when I come back from a trip and um, suddenly like I'm irritated with the traffic or, you know, something that's not efficient in the U S whereas, 
you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, a three hour traffic jam or something in Manila <laughs> where we were is no big, you know, it's a big deal, but people just kind of are like, okay, this is life. I'll learn to adjust my time around this, or I'll just, you know, I have to do this kind of thing. So it, it does change your perspective on what's important, I think. And yeah, and there's nothing wrong at all about, you know, wanting um, to lean into our passions and our skills and build our careers and all of that. I think God has made us each unique for that very reason. Like we need all of us and all of our different perspectives. But I love um, I love how he teaches us if we're willing to learn and and um and that could be as easy as, you know, sponsoring a child through an organization like One Child, you know, learning about another culture, another's perspective, just anything we can do um, like that, because the needs are so great out there. And the the kids' um, realities are so, so hard, like, you know, like we've seen in the Philippines, but but this is everywhere, you know. Yeah. So our listeners have been kind of hearing stories from the Philippines for the last two weeks with Ellie Mae and Laura. Um, and I'm so excited to hear from your perspective because you actually work for one child and you have been collecting these stories for how many years between, you know, the various uh, organizations you've worked with? Yeah, probably about 15 years now. Um, and with one child, I'm the editorial communications director, so I'm helping develop stories that other writers um, send and, you know, that I assign to other writers, um, but also writing my own content and um, just helping with all of that. And yeah, I think the Philippines was so powerful to me. Um, I've been there once before, not with one child, but bef uh, with another, uh, for another story. And it was just so powerful to me because um, really I can think of a few key moments when I was there. Um, I think the first kind of key moment for me, so I think everyone knows like we were there to kind of capture stories about um, child trafficking and online um, sexual exploitation of kids and what that looks like and the problem. And I think the first key moment for me was when we were just in in Cebu and we were um, kind of our first experiences there. And we saw that floating neighborhood kind of uh, the, the shanty homes on stilts by the water's edge. And then in the distance, we could see these, you know, just high rises and beautiful malls and everything and hotels and all the wealth that the city has. And to see those, the group of little kids, you know, we got out of our car and we saw those group of little kids playing along the water and they don't have a sewage system in that, you know, that shanty neighborhood. So we know that they're just basically running around with bare feet in muck that's got raw sewage in it. You know, they get sick a lot with as you can imagine, with skin infections and respiratory, you know, diarrhea, just all kinds of horrible things. But, um, you know, so I have a four-year-old girl and a seven-year-old girl. Um, I mean, I have daughters. And so when we went to Cebu and we started talking to these little kids who they couldn't speak English, 
um, which told me that they probably didn't go to school because English is, you know, very commonly spoken in the Philippines and they didn't really know it very well. So they probably hadn't been in school. Um, one of the little girls had kind of red, red tinged hair, which is usually a sign of malnutrition when the hair gets red, when it's not naturally red. Um, and this little girl, you know, through a translator, she was probably seven around my, my daughter, Emma's age, you know, she, I started talking to her and I was like, so what, you know, what's your favorite thing to do? What do you do here and everything? And when do you, you know, when do you go home? And basically it sounded like, you know, the kids just kind of run around unsupervised. Their parents and their caregivers and their older siblings are working very hard and the little ones run around unsupervised in this little neighborhood um, until maybe like 10 o'clock when they go to bed. And, you know, I said, well, what's your favorite thing to do? And she said, oh, I like to get on, I like to spend my few pesos that I have um, uh, at an internet cafe where I go on Facebook and I talk to my American friends through Messenger. And I was like, what? <laughs> You know, I think that was my first like kind of heartbreaking moment because I realized in doing some research about OSEC, the online sexual exploitation of kids, Facebook Messenger is one of the primary um, ways that predators connect with kids, vulnerable kids. And I was like, what do you mean friends on Facebook? You know, and so ah, it just broke my heart because I thought, these are the vulnerable kids. These are the kids that one child and other organizations are trying to save, you know, and there's so many, there's so many kids there that we need to save. And we just, the need is so great. And, and the resources are smaller than the need, you know? And, um, I thought, gosh, my little Emma, you know, who's now in first grade and she's losing her teeth and she's, you know, got another tooth for the tooth fairy and she's excited. And, you know, that's like her world is just the excitement about being a little kid, you know? Yeah. And then I look at this little seven-year-old and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's totally vulnerable. She's running around in sewage and she's not going to school, you know, and, and their homes don't even have doors. So, you know, that they're you know, they're at very high risk for abuse. They don't even have a bedroom, you know, they can like lock the door and, and stay in for safety, you know, so just so heartbreaking to see that kind of thing. Yeah, and, that conversation has stuck with me a lot too. I remember your shock of saying, oh my gosh, don't, you don't need to be on Facebook. And I thought I was thinking the same thing. And it's like, oh man, these little kiddos um, are so vulnerable. Um, and, and I think, it showed me, you know, as I was saying to Laura last week, I I went in with a little bit of hesitance. I'm never trying to be like a white savior. I've done a lot of mission yeah. work, but I, I love that one child equips locals to be leaders in their own communities. And we're just like playing a supporting role in that. And, and it showed me, oh, wow, like what at risk means here is not just at risk for disease or sickness or a lack of education, but of being like truly exploited. And, and that was wild to me that a seven-year-old knew how that they could collect money in the streets that instead of being used for food, they could go chat with a stranger who could really 
take advantage of them, but in the form of what they might think is a game or what might they might think is normal or, or just playing because they have no other grid for, you know, what a childhood should look like. And so um, it, it really showed me just what the value of these hope centers and these communities can do with with local leaders like Lloyd or Athena or the pastors being an adult in these kids' lives who can show them, you know, what's normal and what's not. And these are healthy boundaries to live with and these are not, not to mention the education, the, you know, nutrition, the shots they need, all of that, but even just like an adult presence that they can trust in their life. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that's so telling because the fact that that little girl who was probably malnourished and hungry would spend her, the few paces she could gather on talking to a stranger just shows how desperately she needs love and attention. You know, she needs that voice of hope in her life, a a consistent, safe presence to say, you do matter, you know, you are valuable. You have inherent value through the the creator of the universe loves you so much, you know, and we love you too. And just showing that healthy love and giving those kids opportunities. All they need is opportunities to thrive, you know. Yeah. And I think um, the other like just powerful moment for me was when we went to the rescue home on that first Sunday and the kids were leading worship and the, the little, um, the three-year-old and four-year-old, um, um, so these are all, you know, um, survivors of, of sex trafficking or sexual exploitation, and they're leading us in worship. And this, these three, this three-year-old and four-year-old sang us this sweet song to welcome us and everything. And just looking at them, you would have never known that they were just pulled out of a, of, of a trafficking situation, you know? And what we learned after that moment, which is just crazy, is that um, I'm probably going to cry, <laughs> but they were nonverbal when they came in into the into the center, just the rescue home, just a couple, you know, months before. And here they are singing to us and welcoming us, and and the girls, you know, all these girls writing us notes, and I I brought a few because I wanted to share, like the you know. One of the little girls said, welcome to Happy Horizons Academy. I hope you have good, have um, good dreams and I pray you have a happily ever after, you know, and I thought, "Ah." and then another one, God brought you here to heal your broken heart. Welcome. No matter how far you get, always remember he'll meet you at the gate. May our father in heaven bless you and touch your heart. And I just thought, these little girls who came in with no dreams because their dreams have been completely smothered by this abuse, you know, their parents, uncles, aunts, neighbors have sexually abused them and ruined their childhood, you know, and here this home is saying, you do have value. I'm, we're going to help you change you from victim to survivor. And we're going to, we're going to build God's truth and hope and words of life into your, your life and help you dream again. So here these little girls are writing to us about how they want us to dream and they want us, um, to hope and 
just that idea that they are hoping again, they're dreaming. Um, it's amazing to see that, you know, and just see how God is working and how difficult it it is the every day. And these girls will have these struggles for their whole lives, what what's been done to them, but they're not ruined. You know, they, they, they have inherent beauty. Um, there was, I don't know if you saw this. Um, I, I took a photo of this plaque that was like on the rescue wall, one of the home, um, homes walls, but it says beauty is something internal that can't be destroyed. Beauty expresses itself in a gentle and quiet attitude, which God considers precious, which is first Peter three, four. But just that idea that they're, you know, transforming these girls lives and saying, no, what happened to you? Nobody can destroy you. You know, God has already redeemed you and given you new, a new life and new hope and purpose. Um, it's so powerful. So I'm just so excited to share these stories that we've gathered. You know, we're, we're going to have a magazine in March, um, a print magazine, and then we'll have a di- digital aspect of that as well. So we'll have lots of online stories, um, Instagram, Facebook, you know, we'll, we'll be on all of those platforms sharing um, just these amazing stories of hope and restoration um, at the one child. So I think that's just going to be, you know, these stories for a lot of these girls are just beginning their hope and their journey. Um, But we also talked to, you know, so many alumni survivors, you know, Um, I interviewed this girl, Ami, that we're writing a story on, and she's in her mid thirties now. And she was rescued as a child because her dad, uh, her mother died and her dad uh, raped her and she became pregnant. And she just, she has been going to school for eight years to become a lawyer. And now she's taking the bar um, in Manila uh, this month. And it's amazing. I'm just like, you know, and she wants to help at the rescue home. She wants to help be an advocate for these girls. Um, And even if she doesn't pass the bar, it's very difficult in the Philippines. I think they said there's a 20% acceptance rate there. Wow. Um, But even if she doesn't pass the bar, to become a lawyer. She has eight years of, of educational experience that she can pour into how the system works, you know, how the laws work, how to help these girls navigate that. Um, cause it's daunting, you know, and, um, to bring these cases to court. Um, but so meaningful, you know, so I'm just so excited that we'll be able to share some of these powerful stories with readers and just, um, show how God is is restoring lives there, you know, that without these kinds of places, um, you know, like one child works with um, basically partners with the Philippine um, social services, um, international justice mission rescues the girls. And then and then the so- Philippine social services connects um, to that to help the girls to figure out is there a family member? Is there someone who these girls can live with after they're taken from their homes after abuse? Um, and if they aren't, then they go into our rescue home or another place like that. So, you know, just that, no, these girls aren't, aren't ruined. They have a hope, they have a future. And we, as, you know, caring Christians can come alongside them and, um, help be part of their story of restoration, whether that's, you know, 
um, sharing the stories we hear, you know, donating to the rescue home or, or sponsoring a child so that they don't become exploited, you know, that they're not lost in the system. They have a safe place to go after school and, at, and they have advocates in their corner because these parents are working very hard and they don't have um, a lot of times, you know, they're just working long hours and it's not their choice to leave their kids unattended but they're they're just thinking about where's my next meal going to come from you know yeah I I mean I was so moved by the hope and the joy of these girls and like you said they're not ruined and and the precise detail um in which you know the women working at the ranch um and at the homes with these girls are Um, putting into every moment of every day to make sure these girls grow up knowing that there's possibility and hope and that they're a survivor, not forever labeled a victim. And um, it was just really cool to see them dream. Like you said, for them to have dreams for their life when so much of their dreaming had been taken away Um, and and an idyllic childhood for them was non-existent. Um, but to instill this hope and this possibility for them was was really just incredibly moving. And it it was also really cool to go to the communities of kids who were at risk. They weren't necessarily, um, they hadn't experienced um, trafficking or, or anything like that. But to see just how far like a sponsorship goes and making sure they get the resources they need to succeed in life. I mean, it was it was just really powerful to get to to be with these kiddos and to be with those, the, the adults who are investing in the kids. And so, um, man, Leanna, thank you for all you do and sharing these stories and your work with one child. I mean, it was a privilege to be on a trip with you. Um, I'm so excited, uh, for the magazine component, which you've been heading up coming out in March because, I'm excited for my Radiant listeners to be able to go check it out and to to read these stories more in depth. What's the best way um, people can get involved right now? And I'll link it up in the show notes. We've been talking about it for the the past few weeks, but we would love for you to kind of link arms with us at One Child. And I would love to hear from you, Leanna. What's the best way people can get involved? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for all those kind words, Kelsey. And it's such an honor to travel with you as well and just um, hear your story too. But yeah, I think the most impactful thing that anyone can do is sponsoring a kid because we, as we've been talking, it transforms their lives. It gives them a safe place to be. And it's a long-term um, way for them to build, you know, connect to either a local church or a school or some sort of safety net in their community so that they don't become victims. So, you know, there's that, that adage or, you know, that, um, it's, it's easier to build, you know, build up children than, than mend broken adults. And, and just that idea that if we can rescue kids at their most vulnerable or, or just be, the, the voice of hope to these kids at their, their most vulnerable, um, then they're not going to become these victims. They're, they're going to have, um, schooling. They're going to have, you know, they're not going to be out of school because they're sick. They're going to be able to have a good education. They're going to be able to have people who support them and their families, you know, 
I mean, it's not just about supporting the kids, but when you support kids, you're helping the whole family because if that family has a crisis situation, you know, their, their home floods or something like that. Um, one child has special funds set up for that kind of thing where they can help rebuild their houses. And, you know, it's just a huge safety net and it, you know, all kids need is an opportunity. You know, we talk about how, you know, kids are not a problem. They're, they're our future. They're our opportunity for, you know, they're our hope. And, if we can build that into these kids um, as a sponsor, it's so amazing because you have that opportunity to write to the kids, you know, and visit it, visit if you ever want to. And just writing a letter, a note of encouragement, you'd be amazed at how that can change a whole kid's life and perspective. Um, and I think as a, as we think about ourselves as kids and learn and remembering those those kind words that a teacher said to us or, you know, or a teacher said, Hey, you've got this talent. You're really good at this. Or I really believe in you. You know, we can be that, that voice of hope to another child who might not have that, um, those words spoken to them, you know? So it's just so powerful. So I would say sponsorship. Definitely. Well, I just sponsored Catherine in one of the Hope Centers. I visited one of the communities we visited where there's a Hope Center with one child. And so I'm so excited. Um, For those of you listening, you can reach out to me directly via email. I'll link up in the show notes, a link directly over to One Child where you can sponsor or donate. And um, we are just so excited to kind of invite you in um, and to, to partner with us. So Leanna, Thank you for joining us today, for sharing your story, how you got to where you are and the work you do. Um, I think our listeners are going to find your story so encouraging and then the work one child is doing so encouraging and something they want to be a part of. So thanks for joining us. Absolutely. It's been so fun talking with you and reliving some of these powerful moments Um, and just awesome to be part of your community of listeners. Well, we love uh, friends over here at the Radiant Tribe. So we, um, I know our people are going to want to kind of find you online, follow along with you. I think you have a private account, though. So, you know, you guys, you just might have to join us back here on the Radiant Podcast to tell us more in the future. How about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys can follow along with one child in the meantime so that Leanna can maintain life of privacy. So, Leanna, thank you for joining us. Can't wait to have you on again. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Hey, don't go yet. I would love it if you go over to iTunes right now and leave a review. I love hearing your feedback and it really makes a difference in getting the Radiant Podcast name out there. And while you're at it, why don't you subscribe and then share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your social media platform is of choice. Lastly, I'd love to keep up with each other. Come find me on Instagram at Kels Chapman and let's get to know each other. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network. Hey, what are you giving for the holidays? Don't let it be another knickknack nobody needs. Give something that will actually help the planet and delight someone you love. Plant a tree. With one tree planted, you can donate to plant trees as a unique holiday gift. And feel good knowing that your gift will help clean the air. 
filter water, and provide habitats for wildlife. Go sustainable this holiday season. Your first tree is on us. Check out OneTreePlanted.org and use code HOLIDAYS to get your free tree. Then pat yourself on the back for the best gift ever. Money. Sometimes it's hard to make it all add up. With a Microsoft 365 subscription, Money in Excel helps you keep track of all your accounts in one place with added alerts and personalized budgets. Buy now at Microsoft365.com slash money.